You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 191. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. I hope you enjoyed last week's show. It was kind of a quirky show, uh, you know, especially at the end when I went on, on about the uh, principle of inclusion and exclusion. So if you're interested in that uh, that math stuff that uh, might seem a little uh, might seem a little different, but actually it's 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 very useful stuff. Uh, definitely check it out. And then of course all you know all the all the latest news. What was that one? Oh yeah, the smart toilet update. Always good to do though. I think now we have to look at how many updates we've done on smart toilets versus how many updates we've done on self driving cars. I wonder if they're somehow equal <laughs> at this point. Um, so. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the work that's being done on the studio here. Uh, as you can see, we'll, uh, we'll probably get to that in a future episode. If you've been listening to The Local Maximum for a while, this is episode 191. You know, I've been doing this every single week. I've been putting out an episode, and um, you know, nobody is, uh, nobody's standing here making me do it. Nobody's, nobody's forcing me. I just every single week, I come up with a topic, and, and we talk about it. And I think we've learned a lot and educated a lot of people. And uh, definitely expanded our perspective. So if you have been getting a lot of value out of the show, if you've been listening for a while, please consider supporting us on Locals. Uh, that's our, our um, uh, the the um, the URL for that is maximum.locals.com. How much better can you get than that? Uh, you can talk directly to me on there very easily. You can have other converse, can you have uh, conversations with other people who listen to this show about the episodes and about other topics that are interesting to them. So once again, maximum.locals.com, please consider supporting the show. All right. I'm always looking for the most knowledgeable people to talk about the progression of technology here on the Local Maximum. And our conversation today that you are about to hear really covers the span from the rise of social media giants, from when everybody loves them to when everyone hates them. That's kind of the story of the 21st century so far. Uh, and then, of course, the emergence of blockchain technology and the projects going on there. We even touched on some trillion-dollar questions like how should the internet support content if not from big data and ad targeting because we tackle trillion-dollar questions here on The Local Maximum. My next guest's experience ranges from startups to capital management, and his work includes, uh, his work resume includes both Apple and MySpace, believe it or not. He's the founder of Dechained, which provides educational resources to people interested in crypto and the Bitcoin space, Ed McCormick. Ed McCormick, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Max, thanks for having me on. This is, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I feel like I, I'm having trouble trying to figure out where to start. I feel like there's so much stuff uh, we could talk about. Um, you know, I, I know you teach people about uh, blockchain and about all the different blockchain projects out there. And so I, I want to get into that. But I, I think, you know, when I spoke to you on the phone the other day, I really want to talk, zoom out to the bigger picture, which is something we do all the time here on the local maximum. Like, you know, where where the tech industry has gone over the last 10 years and whether we've made a wrong turn, but uh, tell me a little bit about your background and, and, and where you got started on in both uh, on the technology space and, and the crypto space. Yeah, and uh, I, it's a great place to start. You know, talking about making the wrong turn, uh, 
started out on the, I guess on the on the wrong foot 15 years ago when I came into tech. Uh, I joined a little site at that point called MySpace. Uh, wasn't little. Uh, it was fairly large, and uh, it was talking about sort of making wrong turns. Uh, I think you and I were talking prior to this podcast. Uh, I vividly remember the meeting where I was sitting in the room, and one of the co-founders at that time wasn't Tom. Uh, I always wish, you yeah. know, I, I always feel like if I worked at MySpace, I would love to have like Tom always at the front of the room saying, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. That's sort of, but well, the uh, saying goes, apparently it's Tom has, yeah, Tom has more friends, but yeah. Craig from Craigslist has weirder friends. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, I remember in that meeting, a question was asked, you know, are we, are we worried about Facebook? At that time, you needed a uh, an edu email address to get it, and you know, the co-founder's name is Chris. Won't say his last name, but cl- clearly said, you know, no, that's a niche college website. We're open to the public, and and how quickly the tides turned very fast on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, throughout this time though, it's been interesting to see sort of the common denominator is these undercurrents that happen you know either led by tech initially or products that are rolling out to you know tie into things that are going on you know in day-to-day life so you know i saw the rise of you know with social media and coincidentally i went to school up in boston and the college i went to was one of the first universities for facebook at that point so fascinating to see sort of that build up and social media there was no social media prior to that you had geocities which I'd, oh yeah, I'll blow you away. I'll blow you away with my gifs um, and my count, my website counters. I never had a GeoCities. Uh, I always, uh, you know, it, yeah, it, it was uh, not, you know, it, it, I could have, but it was always, it was, it was difficult. Like you had to, you had to really, um, I, I, I don't know. I guess that was before I put up websites and stuff. There was no uh, Squarespace or anything like that. I'll <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, you had to have. Uh, you had to have thick skin because yeah. it's sort of like those those photos of your preteen years where you're like, oh, I wish I never saw that. I wish <laughs> that I wish that just disappeared from this existence. Uh, but seeing sort of that blend in with uh, 4G connectivity, well, at the time it's 3G into 4G, and you started to see you know these smartphone devices that were actually smartphones and not just you know glorified Palm Pilots start to. <laughs> open up a whole nother way of you know, engaging with content. The app space built out and around that time, I, I headed over to Apple. And you know, as things progressed, you continued to see sort of things continue to evolve, not just in tech, but also in music and entertainment. And ultimately, sort of what got me to where we are now is privacy. And about five years ago, coincidentally almost to the day, uh, we had a little thing that happened, which was Cambridge Analytica. And the public became aware of something that there are you know, really a, only a select number of companies out there that collect a insane amount of data. And while they use that to monetize their platform and provide you services, that data is susceptible to get into the hands of you know, some bad actors. And, and when that happens, things can ultimately turn bad. Yeah. I'll give it that, not so, going political, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I want to get into that later, but bef- before we start, I actually want to go back to MySpace a little bit because. Uh, so, yeah. when when were you in MySpace, and and when did that meeting that you remember vividly take place? Two thousand seven. 
2007. Okay, and that was, you know, um, that a, a lot of uh, people who were in college at the time were already hooked by that point. It was almost, uh, it was almost it feels like, I guess, you know, look, looking retroactively, it was almost baked in. But what, um, what like, what lesson did you take away from that whole uh, episode? Uh, and funny enough, whenever I say MySpace. Oh, people you know, focus in on the product and, and ultimately what happened. But I probably learned more at that company than any other experience in my career. Uh, one, in terms of the, the team that is that was built, yeah. you didn't I'm have not a surprised. product that, either sold, that sold itself. Like you needed a, a rock star group. And those people went on to you know, very successful careers at, at bigger platforms. But yeah, the, the ultimate, the lesson was complacency. What is the result? What is the, you know, what will happen when a internet-based or tech company becomes complacent? And, and that's ultimately what happened. You know, they, you know they, they tried to be everything to everybody, but there really was no innovation going on on that platform. And it opened the door for Facebook to just kick it in. And from there, it just sort of, they never got the baton back. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, so, okay, fast forward to... I guess it was, when was Cambridge Analytica? Like 2017 or something? 16? Yeah. I remember at the time, like, there was all this outrage, and I was just like, yeah, it's bad, but <laughs> I know this happens. This has been happening for a while. Facebook in 2005, yeah. we know, would just give out people's data to whoever. Uh, and, um, you know, in terms of politics, like, I, I was well aware that, Going back to, um, you know, 2012, uh, you know, there's there was tons of just, you know, data mining and stuff, uh, and they had no scruples on who they can get their hands on. So why all of a sudden was it coming to a head? Yeah, and it's uh, in, in the digital and ad tech world, it's a dirty little secret that's been known for really since the start. Uh, it's pretty much how... It's even in people's pitch decks. We have all of this data on people. And then you ask, well, sure. do they know? No, no, they don't. Uh, yeah, I think what happened, and, and I recall even sort of even further back uh, at the time, Eric Schmidt was a CEO of, of Google and he was in an interview and the person giving the interview asked directly, you know, Google knows a lot of the dirty secrets that people are, are looking up and, and a lot of information on them, especially now that you have Gmail. What do you say to people who are concerned about you having the information? And you know, Eric Schmidt, in, in joking jest, said, "Well, when someone turns 18 years old, they have the right in the U.S. to change their name. If you're very concerned, I would advise <laughs> you do so." Which sort of had a lot of truth in that joke. But I mean, you, you could also kind of find out what someone's name used to be, though. So, I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. There's, Hard to find. Yeah, hard to hard. It to might hide. be hard to um, find, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is something that a lot of people have known for a lot of time, you know, on yeah. in the digital world, in the tech industry, but it needed sort of a, a jolt. It needed to be just mm. displayed in people's faces for them to realize like, oh, oh, wow. I can't believe I, that information's out there. And truthfully, you didn't have to look any further. All you have to look at is that crazy uncle or aunt who just goes on daily rants on Facebook and say, oh, they could probably be, you know, militia. 
they could probably become sort of used as a as a as a tool. Uh, and and people saw that, and people saw sort of how people can be uh, manipulated or taken advantage of, and how easy it is and unfettered it becomes if if not checked. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so okay. So if we're going to talk about where we went wrong, and I hate to make that the theme because I think yeah. we're going to go through them some uh, silver linings, uh, not just silver linings. I think we're going to I think we're going to end with some uh, hopeful stuff, which is the stuff you're doing now. But like. <laughs> One of the ones is privacy. Okay, we talk about that a lot. I actually think, and I, I don't know, well, I actually think another one is like innovation. I feel like the time that you were at MySpace, for example, maybe 2008, all the way up to, well, going back to the 90s and then all the way up to maybe 2013, the internet had so much uh, you know, momentum where there'd be all these cool new things that we can do uh, every every few months something would come out. And now I feel like there's just far less, it's almost, maybe it's just a, a, a problem of maturity where there's just far less innovation happening. I don't know about you, I, I listened to the Apple uh, event yesterday and it was just very, um, you know, it was very just, um, eh, we're just adding a little bit more of what we already have to all our devices. You know, gone are the days where Steve Jobs is, standing up there and introducing the iPad or whatever. Um, so uh, it, it's almost like they've gone from innovation to exploitation. And maybe that connects back to the privacy where it's now we're not building new stuff and capturing the imagination. We're just trying to exploit what we have. And that shift maybe became a lot more pronounced somewhere in the middle of the 2010s. Yeah, I, I think it also has to do with competition. Uh, if you look at how many of these websites operate, it's through advertising revenue. And around 2013, you saw you know, most of the dollars become concentrated to you know, two or three companies. And mm. ultimately, what is then created is a scenario where you know, you're operating, if you're not in those two or three, on much you know, slimmer margins and, and operating budgets. Venture capitalists are, are starting to question sort of the um, vitality of these companies and whether they'll actually ever produce a profit. There were years where, you know, it didn't matter. You just had growth potential and you would just get, you know, these nine-figure checks. You saw that the tides turned slightly around that point. And unfortunately, you know, tying back into innovation, what happens is that either a private equity firm will bring in you know, a CEO or a management team that is going to say, Who's bringing? Who's directly tied to revenue, and those who are not, you start to see you know layoffs, and you start to see you know the teams start to get thinned out. Attrition. And unfortunately, that's yeah. where you see yeah you see a lot of people who are in you know the the data groups in uh, in in the tech space, so product guys, engineers. That's where a lot of cuts happen, and it's mind blowing because it's backwards. It's completely backwards, in my opinion. Uh, Maybe you don't need a hundred sales reps. That's a wild. That's a wild thing to say. Maybe you don't only need twenty. Uh, and use that money that you save and become a little more efficient on sales. Use that money to sort of invest in R and D. Uh, that sort of went away. And, and it, you saw this emergence of websites who do one thing really well, but really didn't have any type of moat or differentiation around it. So then all of a sudden, other sites started copying it and. Now you have a situation where if you ask someone, what's the real difference between TikTok, Twitter, you know, uh, Instagram, and you know, well, Clubhouse is where you know 
people who got arrested in your teen years for identity theft. That's where they go. But other than that, where, what is the difference between all those companies? And at the end of the day, you're like, from a product standpoint, I don't really know. Because I, you could pretty much do any of that on any of those platforms if they really wanted to. Yeah. So, um, okay. So tell me about how you got into crypto to begin with. And as I'm saying this, I realized, you know, Bitcoin was being invented and the blockchain was being invented in in 2007, 2008, 2009. When you were at MySpace, it's almost like uh, there's something funny about the fact that the height of MySpace and the invention of Bitcoin were actually around the same time. They don't really feel like contemporary technology. Um, But uh, (laughs) let's uh, let's start there. And this is going to be sacrilegious. Bitcoin really wasn't really revolutionary in terms of the the operating model. I mean, proof of work, which requires you know these miners to add transactions to the blockchain, that was actually getting research back in you know two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. Cambridge University mm-hmm. put out you know a white paper because they were exploring this as a means of trying to quell spam. They wanted scammers right. or potential people to show some type of work, proof of work. And ultimately got to the point where they realized that these individuals are going to just get better and better computing resources. And eventually it was just going to hurt the, you know, the regular end user. It was going to make mail just impossible. I remember reading about ideas where it was like, okay, if I wanted to send someone an email, I'd have to like, you know, um, I'd, I'd have to pay a little bit and then maybe, you know, that would be one way to reduce spam. We were talking about this in the two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. And think about that, though. How many business emails that someone sends out or how many right. at that point, at least for me, I was sending out a lot more email compared to texts as a ratio, a lot right. significantly more email. It would have it would have just absolutely just kneecapped sort of that technology at that point. So or adoption in general. So ultimately, Bitcoin, which came out in, back in oh nine. It was very unique because it, it sort of was operating in a sort of in an anarchist kind of way where rather than because YouTube at that point it just got acquired, I want to say 20, right. well, it was around that time. I think it was 2006. You really started, yeah. 2006, yeah. yeah. So you saw, you saw the workings of these mini conglomerates being created. And this was sort of the, the new platform out there that was kind of like a canary in the coal mine saying, hey, we should we should turn, turn now, turn now, turn now. So it was very interesting. But uh, yeah, it was it was fascinating to see sort of how Bitcoin ultimately then sort of led a lot of the big tech companies to actually start piling in. And, and there have been tech companies that have been involved with it for almost since the, the start uh, as these little R&D projects in the background. And yeah. You know, well, can you give like an example? Um, yeah, I, IBM has been part of uh, blockchain technology for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Hyperledger is probably the most advanced blockchain for enterprise for business. Uh, that's certainly not something that they could have come up with in a twelve-month period, uh, especially the rate of adoption that it's gotten from other companies using blockchain. Uh, but it's funny to see how they sort of kept that in the closet and in the dark, and it didn't really exposed the investments that they were making at the time. So it's been around. It's been something that, that I think the tech industry and 
specifically, you know, the engineering teams and product teams have been looking at as a potential means of introducing new products and services, but it's not something that they came out with a consumer facing um, announcement or product. Right, right. So, um, okay, so what, what like, what drives your interest in, uh, would you say it's in in crypto and in the blockchain space? Are you more like on on the um, investing side or the using side? Or or what do you like to talk about with with kind of your the the content that you're in? I'm fascinated by the companies uh, who are actually building on blockchain and using cryptocurrency, more so, I should say, tokens as fundraising. Right. So, and let's let's this, actually go to the difference yeah. between a um, a cryptocurrency and a token. It's I don't know if it's that. Well, there are probably people who are wondering. So, well, yeah. why don't you give the definition? Or listening and just holding their fist in the air, saying they're not the same. Yeah, cryptocurrency, maybe. and for many people, it's interchangeable. But uh, by definition, cryptocurrency is a, a a native digital currency that is uh, associated with a blockchain. So that's why. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, Cardano is a cryptocurrency, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency. There are other ones out there as well. A token is uh, basically a digital share. It's representative of some form of either equity or value for a specific project built on blockchain. And that's where you'll see uh, you know, healthcare groups or shipping groups, data groups will release tokens that ultimately people can then use for their service. So that's, for me, you know, I'm certainly interested in cryptocurrency because that's sort of the basis of, of all the you know, economics of the space. But to see a lot of these startups opt to go you know, down the path of raising capital, raising money to build on blockchain rather than perhaps going down the venture capital route where they give up 30, 40% of their business. Yeah. To me, that's fascinating because you're seeing the barrier to entry significantly lowered for new innovation. And to me, that's, that's, you know, going back to your, your, uh, the topic before, this is going to fuel innovation moving forward. Having these conglomerates is incredibly anti-competitive. So that's for me, thrilling. Yeah. How are you worried about like the, uh, the SEC, uh, coming in and like, you know, declaring these things securities and sort of making it like very difficult for companies to, uh, issue these tokens? Sure. Uh, you know, and, and I think you see a general, you know, directionally, you know, companies are moving towards, you know, compliance and either being forthcoming and saying, look, we should be deemed a security or, you know, we're going to be doing all the different compliance checks like know your customer, anti-money laundering. But uh, yeah, the SEC has a, a fight on their hands right now. They, uh, and, and for any listener who's, who's sort of not familiar the day before the former SEC chairman, his name was Jay Clayton, before he stepped down, one day decided to file a lawsuit against Ripple Labs. Ripple Labs is known they created the, the cryptocurrency Ripple, but so that's the it's a XR. fintech. Yeah. yeah. XRP. It's a, XRP. It's a fintech company. Yeah. So XRP is just the, the currency that's used, but they license out their, their SaaS platform. And it's pretty awesome. It's a really awesome product to check out. Uh, it's called RippleNet. But ultimately, in doing so, the the whole new regime that came in with the Biden administration, you had Gary Gensler, who's a former MIT professor, you had Lael Brainerd, who's very familiar. She's the head of the, the Fed. She was on several Senate committees regarding cryptocurrency. 
we had this pro-crypto regime step in, or I would say neutral. They're not anti, like the, the former. And what became interesting is that the, the Ripple case, which is really about its current CEO and former CEO, really was a bad move on the SEC because Ripple didn't lay down. And they actually subpoenaed uh, the SEC to release some documents that have been horrifically damning. Like there was a document that just got released that showed the SEC released an employee investing policy that said that their employees are permitted to buy, hold, and sell cryptocurrency because it's not deemed a security. Mind-blowing, okay. because everything else that is security, if you're an employee of the SEC, there are heavy, heavy restrictions. Just like if you work at Oh, so now you could now you could be involved in like playing the market and regulating them at the same time, is what you're saying. Is what they're well, yeah. They well, at that time they were this is you know back in 2018. Yeah, they were disclosing to their employees that this is crypt, digital assets are not cryptocurrencies, and they're okay. they're not. Secu- so, I'm sorry, they're not they're not securities. Not securities. So they are. Okay. Yeah, they're not under the uh, the umbrella or sort of the oversight of the SEC. Right. Very interesting. And then the other piece was oh, so they the, contradicted uh, themselves. <laughs> contradicts everything. Yeah. And then the other piece was that they were too former commissioners within the SEC, so high-ranking executives who came out as whistleblowers. And Ripple got them to, to testify. Uh, they deposed, and, and ultimately they disclosed that uh, the SEC has willingly acted in a very vague manner when defining whether digital assets are cryptocurrencies or not. And, and they've been doing so, for one, because they don't want to lose control and give over oversight to the uh, there's another group called the uh, Commodities Future Trading Commission, CFTC. They don't want to give control of crypto right away to the CFTC. So there's a little bit of an infighting going on. But the other is they want to be able to hold these types of lawsuits, knowing that most digital companies don't have the resources that Ripple does, and right. they're going to lay down and not fight back. And that was backbreaking, in my opinion. So uh, yeah, this is we're now sort of in the in the thick of things. We about two weeks ago was the the deadline when the SEC had to hand over all these documents, which they they did not. Um, so we might see the judge, the SEC doesn't start cooperating, may dismiss uh, the SEC's case. At which point, um, everything that the SEC has come out and said, you know, this is a security, you can't do this, that's negated because the SEC didn't prove because the burden of proof is on the SEC that digital assets break. Securities Act of 1933 and 1934. That would be, it will be <laughs> almost breaking for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. But so let's move away from the the, the regulation. Like I want to know what, um, have you found, what blockchain projects have you found or what like kind of innovative ideas have you found that, that are really interesting to you in terms of, you know, uh, companies coming out with new blockchains or even like new applications of say Bitcoin or Ethereum? Yeah, uh, there's there's one. Again, I'm going to put a disclaimer that I'm not I'm not what's called chilling. I'm not pitching you guys or sure. any of you listeners any coins that I own. So um, this is just my personal opinion. But there's a company called um, MILC. It's a German it's a German uh, media company, and what they did was they created a, a project on blockchain to assist with international licensing rights. Big issue in the last year with COVID is that while we were all locked down, so were the studios and actors. And ultimately there was this scramble, you know, this arms race that happened across 
many of the streaming platforms to go and secure licensing rights of international shows to bring over here. You saw Gamora get picked up by HBO Max, which is a phenomenal show. You saw, uh, you know, there's another one. There's a French company, French show that just uh, I just saw get promoted. You saw, you know, many, many, many you know, of these international dubbed shows come overseas to the U.S. and filled a bit of a content gap. In saying that, it's a nightmare. Licensing in general for TV is is an absolute nightmare. Um, and I was exposed at a very small capacity, and I, that was enough for me. Uh, these guys are, are figuring out a way for both discovery, for negotiation, and, and standardizing terms, which I think is, is very cool um, and, and can also probably be used you know, when it comes to music as well. That's streaming is a whole nother – streaming and royalties is a whole nother sort of pain in the neck. So I'm very fascinated by that, and I think that there are applications with blockchain that can help solve that based on sort of the current issues that exist today. Um, and there's also you know, another, a number of other platforms in the data space that I think you know, are revolutionary in my humble opinion, um, which sort of reinvent and disrupt that whole data broker industry. Uh, still, it's a, people don't realize it's a quarter of a trillion dollar business. So it's 250 billion annually globally. Uh, for which business? Ultimately, this is for, for data brokers. So data the, brokers, okay. So yeah, companies, uh, Nielsen, Oracle. I mean, there's many around the world yeah. that secure customer data and then offer it up for companies to gain access to it and syndicate. The problem is, is that with legislation, with all those things that are happening now, you know, self-imposed by tech companies, the quality of that data is starting to get compromised. And ultimately, the way that these companies can collect, store, and distribute is also getting compromised. So this, these, a lot of these companies are focused in on you know, addressing how do, how do companies gain access to quality first-party data in a way where the data owner doesn't lose ownership and also maintains privacy. So there's a number of projects that I think are, are fascinating from that space. Um, and we'll see sort of where it goes. And But the cool thing is you're seeing... These teams are running these groups, these projects. These are all veterans, you know, from Silicon Valley, from Europe. I mean, these are people who would be running, you know, well-backed unicorns in any other sort of scenario. So certainly bringing in a lot of talent along with uh, with the money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as you put out like a lot of educational content for people, I'm sure you do a lot of, you know, research on, on different projects that are going on. One of the things about this space that... Um, it, I think it annoys people, but it also is—I um, don't know—it's to me, it's just part of the landscape too. But you run into a lot of people who have very strong, like, ideology or opinion about yeah. <laughs> what uh, <laughs> you know what what blockchain is supposed to be. Just to give a couple examples, you have like on one side, Bitcoin maximalists, like there could only be Bitcoin, and the other side, you have people who just, for some reason, they want. Nothing to do with Bitcoin, but they're all in on blockchain, and you're like, you know what? And then, and then, of course, you know the the block size wars and all that, and the the the, the splits. So how I feel like for someone new coming in, it's like I almost want to say, okay, you're gonna you're gonna run into people who are saying X, Y, and Z, not necessarily ignore them, but like be aware of it. I don't know how, how do you uh, how do you sort of how do you sort of help people navigate that? Um, because yeah, I, I think the only thing worse than 
having speaking to like a, a vegan or a crossfitter at a dinner party is a crypto investor. It's, it's <laughs> terrible. They'll just talk your ear off about it. Um, look, you're going to run into that. And, and almost, you know, the vast majority, if not all of those people uh, are generally, you know, investing in the, the speculation. You know, the more people that buy into the story, that buy into this narrative, the more value that these, these projects are going to get. Um, and, and that's, for me, you, you need to look at it in that lens. You know, their job is to get more people to buy it so that their holdings go up. Hmm. For me, what I try to tell people is, you know, I want to invest in companies and I want to, you know, I want to sort of devote my time looking into companies that regardless of where the bull market, bear market goes, you know, in this cycle, these are companies that are going to still be around. They're still building on blockchain because they're building businesses. There's actually commercial value. And, and that's sort of the model that worked even during the, the dot-com bust. You know, you saw for every one Alta Vista and Dogpile and there's many, dogs.com, pets.com. Pets.com. There were, you know, yeah, there were many of these strong, strong companies that sort of continued on and actually built up to, to where they are today because they built actual businesses. They weren't sort of building hype and fluff. And yeah. you see a lot of that today. And you can, all you need to do is, is ask questions. Why do you like that? that project? Why do you like that cryptocurrency? And you can very quickly tell sort of what side they're on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a hard one, a hard one to defend <laughs> from my perspective is like the, uh, the, the doge stuff where it's just like, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but I, 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 I know people have said, you know, I feel like I'm late to Bitcoin. I'm going to buy Doge. And I'm like, don't do that. And they come back. Oh, I made all this money. And I'm like, oh no. But uh, <laughs> yeah. And then I lost it. Well, maybe yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some people just, uh, some people get lucky, you know, they come in and then they, yeah. they get out and then they're like, all right. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, I feel like it's a market that has, you know, it's there. There's a there's a big pile on effect, and it's almost multiplied in crypto. So you could have big swings that are not necessarily rational. Which uh, hey, if somebody's you know good at trading, they could ultimately maybe exploit. But it doesn't always the the short run stuff doesn't always tell you what's going to work out in the long run. I guess. Um, yeah, it's. I think of I think of meme coins sort of as the digital equivalent of of scratch off tickets. Scratch off mm. tickets are in your face or at every single deli, every grocery store, and you know people win, people get rich on them, but the odds are you're not. And, right. and the reason being is that uh, the people that get rich are generally the people who are either involved in pumping it up and they're very early, and by the time it reaches you know, the mass people, the mass public profits are already gone. And, and sort of they're already out of the market waiting for the next one to, to pump up. So it's important to know that if you're not actively watching crypto and sort of keeping your, your finger on the pulse, I would not, my suggestion is sort of look at these meme coins as a way of sort of getting rich because odds are that you're probably late. Uh, and, and we see that time and time and time again. And unfortunately it's, it's been going on for, for, you know, almost since the start uh, of blockchain, we saw it with ICOs before previous to that, we saw it with all of these Litecoin, Litecoin sort of clones. So yeah, they'll, they'll keep popping up. But uh, yeah, I would say, you know, 
my my recommendation just uh, just there's a reason that, that there's these these pumps and and ultimately there's got to be someone who buys them so don't be that person if I could, I'm just thinking off the top of my head over of, of, a, of a good analogy since you're coming up analogy. Tell me if you think this works. Uh, because I, so I remember like, you know, when I, when I was an undergrad, you know, Facebook came out, you already had MySpace. I remember like other uh, new, hot new social networks would come around so that we <sighs> always forgot the name of and they would just Bebo. circulate through. Remember? Yeah, they would just circulate through the internet every once in a while. And in the short run, they probably got a lot of, funding they probably got people to you know buy into their projects like oh i'm gonna make a, a better facebook it's 2005 but you know uh, you know and and so there's always like a there's always like a me too or i should call it me too like it also ran yeah. uh uh that uh that comes in but then again sometimes you you know you could have been mistaken and thought facebook wasn't all also ran so it's hard to tell sometimes yeah, for every one Instagram, you get a dig.com, which turned down the story as they turned down a billion and then settled for 200,000. Yeah. A few yeah. years later. So, and well, look at yeah, Tumblr, yeah. uh, too, yeah. is, a, is another one I followed, which, uh, which, uh, well, that's a fascinating one. Um, okay, so another one is another question I wanted to ask you, and I also have kind of selfish reasons for asking this, but, um, and but I know it's a problem that you thought a lot about, which is like, how, how do we? What's the best way of going about supporting content online? And I'm not just talking about as an individual. Like I know as an individual, mm. you could put up courses or and stuff. I'm interested in doing it. Okay, advice for that is good. But also like, as the as we look at like the the internet as a whole, like how would you like to see, um, you know, people? Uh, how would you like to see that 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 huge resource of information we have being funded because it feels like uh, something's broken about it right now as we've talked, mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, and there's a few sides to that question. Uh, you have one, if you look at the way that they monetize, is it free? Is it freemium? Is it fully paid? Um, and ultimately, there's a responsibility you know, for people to say, you know, I value certain type of journalism and I'm going to support and I'll pay for their services. If not, you know, I'm willing to see advertising. And then sort of there's that agreement that, that goes on and um, there's, you know, a dynamic is created. The other is looking at, you know, how these sites are, are, are built and, and sort of how they run. It there's also a, a known as on advertisers too. Uh, the fact is that many high quality sites can't keep their doors open, can't keep an editorial staff who's going to actually do journalism. They're going to do five great things, five reasons that this actor got fat. Why? Because those I can't believe I keep clicking. Good. I can't believe I keep clicking on them. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the one that's on that was advertised on Twitter, and then I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why am I here? Yeah, <laughs> get me out of uh, this. That's what I thought we were talking about on this on this on this podcast. I thought we were just going to talk, you know, actors of the '90s who got fat. Because I read it on BuzzFeed, <laughs> and that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about Chelsea Peretti's brother Jonah creating some some. More lists and then, for us. Then you um, have to go through all of the actors that got fat, but the one that was in the picture is never there. Oh, like, come on. Tell yeah, me what Tony a... Danza looks like. Because <laughs> I wanted to look like him growing up. No. Um, 
but ultimately, if the onus falls on advertisers, if the advertisers are going to continue to run ads on you know, low quality sites because they want cheap, cheap you know, media in, especially in digital, ultimately it's going to be hard for a lot of these these publications to maintain uh, you know, an editorial team to, to invest in actual the product itself. So it's it's complicated. You know, it a little bit relies on the consumer and, and supporting those platforms that you know, are doing the right things, falls on the advertisers for um, for ultimately funding it and you know, making sure that the money is coming in and, and helping them sort of keep the lights on. But then the last piece is it falls on the platforms. I know this is extremely scandalous for some people, but uh, you're, I think that tech platforms should be responsible for the content that's on them. If you host hate speech if you host and it's what the definition of a hate speech is very obvious what definitions of uh, hate speech are uh if it's questionable it's hate speech uh so you know, not allowing that crap to sort of continue on and ultimately what that's going to create is you know, sort of a shift towards i'm going to go to xyz.com because the facts are correct versus other places where i I don't know if it's entertainment or information. I hope that answered your question. It's, it's a hard question. Well, yeah. It's a rhetorical question. I don't have an answer for it. No, I know. I know. Do you think that, so I, I want to get it, I want to ask the question on, on an individual basis too, but do you think there is a, um, you know, obviously to, to get these companies to, to change in, in the way you want, it's not going to happen automatically. So do you think there's going to, uh, you know, do you think like, um, you know, some blockchain project might be part of the answer or do you think maybe not? I, I don't know. Is there any connection there? Yeah, I mean, and there's there's a number of, of platforms that are introducing sort of this these these new models where you are incentivized to do sharing or to to distribute you know certain types of articles. And if you if you take that and you sort of support their platform even if you're not gonna pay and open your wallet, you can then access you know, certain levels of content. Um, and that's a way that is good for these you know, publications because it generates greater branding and increases sort of their, their user base, which helps them go back to the advertisers. But also from the consumer standpoint, you're not having to pay for every article or every you know, publication right. that you wanna read. And it's something that is, is very doable, costs you no money. So someone who puts out some, you put out some free stuff and you put out some stuff that uh, people have to pay for. What's your strategy in terms of figuring out what's what? Like, yeah, what, so what you're yeah, going to put the, out the for free. Yeah, we, it's always a, it's always a, a, a dilemma that happens. You know, we certainly want to make, you know, all of all the information that we can uh, make for free. We do. I mean, that's uh, my problem. Some, I just, I, I don't want to yeah. like put anything behind a paywall. Yeah. But then again, there's also sort of the other dynamic, which is because we host uh, content, which could be deemed as financial advice. We want to cover ourselves from a legal sure. standpoint as well. So that if we're telling you, here are three things, your three cryptocurrencies that we think are going to be well positioned for the next month by having that paid contract between us and the customer, we are then covered legally. If we're just putting that out in the ether, uh, there's there's a lot of gray area there in terms of right. are we acting in an advisory role, are we not? And ultimately there's a lot of liability that you can take on as a 
as a, as a platform hosting that content. That's why you'll see if you go on, you know, Investopedia, if you go on Motley Fool, Zacks, Acorns, they, they're all investment advisor firms. They're registered either with the state or with the SEC. And there usually is some type of um, monetary component, either when you're subscribing to them or at least when you get to a certain level of content. And that's, we just bring that content a lot closer to the front. Cool. All right. So uh, I think it's uh, about time to wrap up. Uh, it's, uh, it's been great talking to you. What, um, do you have any last thoughts about what we spoke about today and um, where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, going back to innovation, because I think you encapsulated the conversation very well with that. Um, right now we are seeing this new undercurrent of, of innovation that speaking as a sample size of one, I have not seen in at least 10 years. Uh, and it's, it's mm. exciting. And it's, it's really, it's certainly, you know, something worth that's worth checking out, knowing that you're obviously listening to the show, you have an interest in tech, you have an interest in, in business. So, you know, come check it out. We have a, a lot of different great resources all made available for free. Uh, we certainly have more uh, if you decide to pay, but, you know, come check us out. You know, dchain.com. So it's D C H A I N E D, or you can just go maximize your portfolio.com. Something easier to remember. So yeah, cool. We'd love to, yeah. we'd love to have more people come check us out. Dchain.com. That'll also be available on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com/slash one ninety one. Ed McCormick, thanks for coming on the show. Max, appreciate it. Wonderful time. That's the show. To support the local maximum. Sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.